invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it once more. Hopefully it's just falling open at this point to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is in the New Testament toward the back of your Bibles. It's about 13 chapters long, and uh, you'll find it there between James, before James, and after uh, Philemon. Philemon is a really short book. It's a short letter. It's only about two pages, so you might skip it altogether. But Hebrews chapter 12. There are not a whole lot of things that I miss uh, about college, or my years in college, except one thing. One thing I do miss, and that was my motorcycle. It was a 1996 Yamaha Virago 750. It's kind of a city cruiser, not a, uh, not a sport bike, but, uh, but a city cruiser bike uh, that I uh, enjoyed uh, riding uh, for about two and a half, maybe three years before I moved to California to go to seminary. And uh, before I bought that motorcycle, I took a motorcycle uh, safety course. And uh, there are two reasons for taking that course. One, it helped to get your, uh, my motorcycle endorsement on my driver's license a lot faster. But also, and more importantly, it helped to save money on insuring that motorcycle. I am nothing if not cheap. And so anything to get a good deal. So I took this motorcycle safety course. And while we were in that course, they, they taught us basically uh, outside of the classroom and the rules of the road and stuff. When it comes to riding a motorcycle, two things that you just always have to remember when you're riding, especially in a city like Albuquerque where people are, well, let's just say not the safest drivers anyway, two things to do. This is just as good advice for a motorcycle as it is for riding a bicycle or a skateboard. Keep your head up and keep your head on a swivel. Look up, look forward, and always be looking around. Always be aware of what's going on around you. When you're riding a motorcycle or a bicycle, the bike is going to go where your eyes go. If you're looking at the ground, pretty soon you'll be in the ground. But if you want to go straight, you've got to look up. You've got to keep your eyes on where you're going. If you want to, to, to ride straight, you, you just, it just helps to keep your eyes looking up. And at the same time, you've also got to kind of keep your head on a swivel. And by that, I don't mean you're spinning around 360 degrees like an owl everywhere that you're going, but you're constantly checking your, your rearview mirrors. You're, you're scanning the horizon. You're doing your very best to be aware of other vehicles that are around you, trying to anticipate what sort of crazy things they may, may do on the road, who's going to cut you off uh, you know, at any given moment. You've got to keep your head on a swivel. You've also got to look up and look ahead. You need to be focused. You need to be purposeful. You need to be intentional in every move that you make, especially when you're riding a motorcycle or a bicycle on the road, because if you don't make the right move, if you make the wrong move, if you take your eye off of where you're going, you're going to be in a lot of trouble really, really quickly. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17, as the author of Hebrews has called the church, uh, these Jewish background believers to whom he's riding in the first century, as he's called them to be those who have faith, who persevere like those who have gone before us in faith, as he's called us to run this race of faith with perseverance as we follow Christ. He is also encouraging the church to run this race of faith with spiritual strength and spiritual purpose, with intentionality, looking up and looking around all the way until the end. The main idea of these verses in Hebrews 12, 12 through 17 is this that we'll be exploring this morning. Be strengthened and run straight. So the author of Hebrews wants to encourage his readers, be strengthened and run straight. As we heed these words of Scripture today, I want for us to turn this morning in our hearts, in our minds, intentionally, to turn to God for strength, for focus, and for holiness to run well, to run this race that is set before us, to be intentional, to be purposeful, 
to look up and to look around in all that we do to run well. Would you stand with me as you're comfortably able? As we honor God by reading his word, Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17. The author continues his exhortation to run. He says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought for it with tears. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Be strengthened and run straight. Be strengthened and run straight. There are two essential commands, essential encouragements or exhortations that come to us in these verses. That's hard for a person like me who likes to find three points in everything, but there's just two today. The first comes to us in verses 12 and 13. The command is this, be strengthened and straightened. Be strengthened and straightened. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what's lame may not be put out of joint, but healed. These references here that come to us in verse 12 to strengthen, drooping, lift drooping hands, strengthen weak knees, both take us back to the imagery of the race of faith that we have run that race with endurance, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 12, the race of faith. There are life with Christ being, uh, being uh, spoken of in the metaphor of a foot race. And also, lift your drooping hands, referring back to the struggle against sin that we saw in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 4, these racing, boxing, wrestling images all point out for us, especially as the author refers to weakness of knees and drooping hands, refer to the fact that the race of faith following Jesus, being a Christian, is hard. The struggle against sin and against temptation is real, and it is difficult. It leads to spiritually and even physical exhaustion. How many of us, even over just the, the past year, the, the last year is exhausting in so many ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, but we probably would not be doing ourselves much justice or really being honest with, the, with our, our current condition if we didn't admit that the last year with COVID restrictions and lockdown and all that kind of stuff was, if we did not admit that it was also spiritually exhausting. How many of us at some time over the last year woke up in the morning, thought about continue to live by faith with confidence in Christ and just, just said, I, I can't today. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I can bring it up within me to, to do this. I need strengthening. So the author of Hebrews says, it's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus in a world that is constantly running a, running a different race or, or running the opposite direction from where we are going. You should, you should expect to feel physical and, and especially physical, uh, excuse me, spiritual exhaustion. So strengthen your knees. Lift your drooping hands. How many of us have seen a, a boxer who's just getting pummeled in a boxing match and over time he begins to drop his guard? His body so beaten that his hands fall down and he starts getting hit in the face. Or a, a runner in a, a race, maybe a marathon, who 
At some point in the race, his legs just begin to go out. You, you see him running like, he's, like his legs are just made of rubber. They're just jiggling all over the place. So we have these very real images of, of what following Christ by faith looks like sometimes. You're just beat up. So pick your hands back up, get your guard back up, take a moment, gather yourself, have your legs strengthened again, and make a straight path. The author says, be strengthened and run straight. Verse 13, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather to be healed. Make a straight path. That word straight comes from the Greek word orthos, which we use in English words like orthopedic uh, or orthotics. It is to take what is crooked or out of place and to make it straight, to make it strong, to make it right. Um, the running shoes that I, I recently purchased, uh, I don't run in them. That's kind of a misnomer. I just walk my dog in them every day. But still, the sho- actually, that's not true. I, I, Abigail and I went for like a mile, mile run yesterday. I was going to shoot for three, and she thought she could do three. I said, babe, you can't do three. She's like, watch me. I said, let's try one. She made it part of the way. Anyway, that's all I said. The running shoes I just bought have some corrective uh, uh, features to them. So I'm a pronator. If you're a runner or a walker, you know what pronators. That means your, your ankles kind of tilt inside. I've got weak ankles, and, uh, and, and if I run with my feet pronated like that, I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to, to develop injuries in my knees or maybe even in my hips because stuff's out of alignment. So I need these shoes that correct my feet just a little bit, keep them from tilting in so that I don't hurt my knees, don't hurt my hips. They help to make my my running path, my running form straight. Make a straight path, the author of Hebrews says, for your feet. Make a straight path for your race. Set it true. Set it right. The course of faith is not a meandering or unfocused uh, uh, course. but Rather, it is straight. It is true. it It is right. It's not a course that is determined by any individual runner. It's one that has been determined for us by Christ who has gone before us. And so the straightness of our path is to follow Him. Now it's interesting because the author of Hebrews here in verse 13, he strains the analogy of a race a little bit. He goes beyond the, the, what we can metaphorically you know, put a one-to-one comparison between. But here he says that the effect of making a straight course, of, of running straight, running in a focused way after Christ actually has the effect of healing what has been broken. Now, now a runner who has broken legs can't just back, get back on the race course and, and, and have his legs healed as he runs straight. Right? But spiritually speaking, if something's broken, if we've, been, if we've gone off the path, if we've wandered into sin, if we've, if we've walked away from Christ or, or just ignored Him for, for some time, if we've not been running straight... Coming straight, getting, getting our path straightened out to follow Jesus has a spiritually healing effect. Straighten it out so that what's lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. This straight path for running not only keeps us from spiritual distraction, spiritual discouragement, but fixes what's been broken by drifting from the truth. Life and following Christ is a course of healing as we pursue holiness. I'm reminded of James chapter 5 verse 16 where James the brother of Jesus writes to some churches. He says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We are tempted, we are tested, we are distracted regularly by sin to take our eyes off the course that is before us to run by faith in Jesus and go after other things. 
But here in Hebrews chapter 12 and also in James chapter 5, we have this promise that if we will make our paths straight, if we will confess our sins, if we will seek fresh repentance in following Jesus, we'll be spiritually healed. There is good things. There are good things that happen in your life, in your soul, when you get your paths straight. So be strengthened and be straightened. Now this morning, friends, I want to encourage you not to do this in your own strength, in your own ability, but rather to be strengthened, to be straightened, to find strength and correction in the beauty and the holiness of God. Amen. Now, what does that have to do with anything? How, 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 do we, how, do we find, how do we find strength? How do we find correction for our life following Jesus in the beauty and the holiness of God? The power of beauty, the power of grandeur to captivate our attention, to inspire our motives, to draw us toward itself is an undeniable aspect of what it means to be human. Great works of art captivate the attention of those who are looking at them. I think of Michelangelo's David or Leonardo's uh, Mona Lisa. You have these pieces of art in rooms that are, that are designed to draw your eye toward them. And I think having seen these pieces of art for myself of the massive crowds that are surrounding these pieces of art and all of them not looking at each other not talking not talking to anybody but looking just gazing upon these works of art and and you think about how these works of art have inspired many others to take up sculpting or painting or, or other forms of art either to recreate what they have seen or to create something new in a like fashion same thing with music when you hear a a, a sonata or a symphony or a 1980s rock ballad that just captures your attention, captures your heart. It's like, I love this song. You hear the drum beat kick in. I don't want to endorse it or anything, but like Metallica, Enter Sandman. Doom, do, 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 doom, do, do. Man, there's nothing better uh, before a Lobo basketball game in the pit than when that song just, you know, rever- but the, the power of music to captivate our attention, to capture our, our eyes and to inspire us to pick up an instrument and learn how to play or write a song for ourselves. A mountain peak that a rock climber or a a hiker, a mountaineer would look at and say, I'm going to scale that thing. Great works of literature, works of carpentry even, that just inspire our imagination, get us to, to move, to do something. Our eyes, our attention are drawn to beautiful things, things that we consider beautiful all the time. And those things that, we, that, that are beautiful, that we set our minds on, are the things that inspire us. They're the things that get us out of bed in the morning. They are the things that mark out the pathway of our life and what we will do, what we will achieve. Friends, I'm telling you this morning, there is nothing that will lead you to any sort of success, any sort of uh, feeling of achievement or fulfillment. Nothing beautiful in all the world that matches the beauty and glory of God. If you want to run straight after Christ, if you want to be strengthened to run after Him faithfully, set your eyes on Him. Set your eyes on God. And not because you feel compelled to, like it's your religious duty to do so, but do it because He is beautiful. Because He is captivating. His love, His mercy, His justice, all of His manifold, innumerable perfections are glorious to our sight when we really, really look at them. They They are the things. He is the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning and directs our paths. So, be strengthened. Be corrected by setting your eyes, setting your gaze on Him. The author says to be strengthened, be straightened. And then in verses 14 through 17, he encourages the church to run well. 
having, having plotted out the course, having gotten everything in, direction where, uh, in a direction where it needs to go, now get running and, and run well. So strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. The author here gives us several ways that we run well. First of all, we run well after Christ in right relationships. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. We run well after Jesus when we pursue peace with others, when we make sure that our relationship with other people is, is right, is doing well. Now, certainly, this applies to the church. As Christians and members of the local church, we do well to pursue peace with one another, to make sure that, that there is unity in the Holy Spirit and in the gospel. Not that we never disagree on anything, but that we be at peace with one another in all that we do. If the community of the body of Christ, the assembly of the church, is strained or chaotic or fraught with conflict, then none of us can expect to actually run the race after Christ, a race by faith. We can't run that well if the whole house is in disarray and conflict. Conflict within the body serves as a prime example of the weight and the sin that needs to be cast off so that we can run the race with perseverance, as the author encouraged us uh, earlier in Hebrews chapter 12. So we pursue peace with one another in the church, but also, we're, uh, as the author says, pursue peace with everyone, which means certainly in the church, but also outside of the church. We're, we're to pursue peace and peaceful relationships with people in the world, people who are not Christians. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If Jesus encourages us to be those who make peace, within the body and without, then certainly we do well to follow that example. Live with, uh, uh, run well in right relationships with others, but also run well in a right relationship with God. We're to pursue peace and to pursue holiness, without which no one can see God. The path for running is set straight. It's, set, it's, it's run rightly when we pursue holiness. That is to say, when we pursue lives that reflect the, the morally perfect character of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we are perfect. This doesn't mean that we live sinlessly. But it does mean that we live in a stalwart fight against sin, that we are constantly recognizing temptation, learning to say no to it, confessing our sins, turning and, and returning to Christ in faith over and over and over until the day that we die and see Christ face to face. We pursue holiness so that we may be in right relationship with God. Jesus, again, in the Beatitudes said, Blessed are the pure in heart where they shall see God. What is pureness of heart but holiness? So we run well in right relationships with others and with God. And we also run well this race of faith that Christ has set out for us by watching out, by keeping our head on a swivel. So we not only focus on Christ who is the goal of our faith, but we're also looking around for several different things. Verse 15 begins, See to it that, if we were to translate that, Literally, from the Greek, we would maybe say something like, give oversight so that, which means we need to be looking out for others around us in a number of different situations. And that verb, see to it that, is applied to the next several different clauses that are mentioned there. So first of all, we need to see to it that, we need to watch out for those who are tempted to quit the race. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now here the author is not warning 
against people losing their salvation that they once had by faith in Jesus. He's not saying, watch out that no one loses salvation. That's not on the table here. But rather, falling short of the grace of God or failing to obtain the grace of God means either on the one hand, quitting the race before you've ever started. Falling short of the grace of God or obtaining the grace of God could be understood in one sense of falling short of understanding God's grace at all, which is a call to the church to say, watch out, make sure that everyone knows what the gospel is. Let there be no confusion about how we are saved from sin, forgiven and made right with God, how we are given eternal life through faith in Christ. Make sure no one is confused about that. There were certainly some, I think, among the the church, uh, among the Hebrews, to whom the author of Hebrews writes, who were confused about how salvation came, about how they were made right with God. Certainly there are some in churches all across the world today who are still confused about that. People who call themselves Christians, who, who are confused about how grace is received. This is part of the reason that I've invited you and asked you as members of this church on several occasions to send me a paragraph or a page-long uh, um, uh, description or telling of what the gospel is. Not because it, it makes me feel good about myself, but because I want to make sure that none of us are confused about, about the gospel, about how we are saved. That there not be anyone in our church who can think that they are a Christian and yet somehow not know Christ as Lord by faith. Watch out. Make sure everyone knows the gospel. Second, watch out. Make sure that uh, no one falls short of spiritual maturity and discipleship. As we grow in Christ, as we grow in greater maturity in Jesus, as we begin, as our lives, as our will, as our heart's desires begin to look more like His, that is evidence of God's grace in our life. And if we fail to obtain the grace of God in that respect, it's because we're failing to grow as disciples of Jesus. God does not call people to salvation. He does not save us by His grace through faith in Christ in order to leave us spiritual infants in order never to grow, in order never to learn, in order never to pour our lives out into the lives of others. No, but to do all of those things, to grow, to learn, to serve others and make sure that they're growing also. Watch out that nobody thinks that salvation comes by any other means than than through faith in Christ. Watch out to make sure everyone who knows Jesus is growing in Him. We're to watch out for also idolatrous foot traps. The author says in verse 15, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now here, when he speaks of a root of bitterness, perhaps in your copy of God's Word, you have uh, quotation marks around that phrase, root of bitterness, and maybe a cross-reference that would take you to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18. The author of Hebrews is not speaking about a root of bitterness to, to describe a general attitude of people in the church. He's not saying, don't be bitter. Uh, he's actually giving a, an illusion. He's, giving a, he, he's speaking in another way about a sin of idolatry. If we go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18, we find God saying to the people of Israel, as they're about to enter into the promised land of Canaan, these words. He says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. The root of bitterness is not about your attitude. The root of bitterness is about our heart's worship. The root of bitterness is about idolatry. The root of bitterness is, is what, what 
takes hold in the life of a person or a church that begins to worship other things other than Christ or pollute their worship of Christ with things of this world. The author is saying, watch out that your hearts do not stray from Jesus. This is idolatry. A small seed of idolatrous disbelief, a small seed of spiritual bitterness against the gospel can take root and overtake the body if it is not confronted. And dear friends, there are things that threaten to pollute our worship all the time. All the time. And we have to be so, so, so very careful not to conflate what it is to be a follower of Jesus with what it is to be a part of this or that political party. What it is to be a follower of Jesus with, with, with maybe our success in the world, with our standing with other people, with even the, the relationships that we engage in. Those things do not have bearing upon our worship. Rather, our worship has bearing upon all of those things in the world. And when we get that, that worship direction, that worship arrow turned around backwards, we end up making the gospel, we end up making our worship something idolatrous altogether. Watch out for it. Be on guard. Watch out for those who are tempted to quit. Watch out for idolatrous foot traps. Watch out for immorality and ungodliness. Verse 16 says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There are two things that we're to watch out for here. Immorality, sexual immorality, and ungodliness or irreverence, unholiness. I think the first one, sexual immorality, is by itself, and the second one, unholiness, is related to Esau. So let's look at first sexual immorality, which we are to avoid. Now, frankly, there are too many biblical examples here for us to mention of calls, commands, warnings against sexual immorality. If one thing has been clearly, uh, a clearly intended marker of God's people in the Old Testament and in the New throughout all of history, it is this— that God's people pursue holiness and God's intention for human intimacy. Amen. God's people have always been weird for this in the world throughout all history. It's always been weird to be monogamous and faithful to our husband or our wife whom we made covenant promises to for a lifetime. It's always been weird to only be sexually intimate with one person as a follower of God, it's always been a little bit weird and sometimes strange to say that intimate relationships this way are, are only between, are, are only between a, be between a man and a woman, and that for a lifetime. It's always been strange. Nevertheless, the, the temptation to uh, pursue intimacy apart from God's design, apart from God's plan, is, is constantly there. It's constantly tempting. And not just in, in what we do with our bodies, but even the thoughts of our minds. Avoid sexual immorality. Also, avoid ungodliness. Avoid irreverence, like Esau. Now, admittedly, this is kind of like Esau just kind of comes in out of nowhere here, and uh, it's kind of strange. It's difficult to know exactly what, what to do with Esau. What does it mean that Esau was ungodly or irreverent? Well, if you remember the story of Esau and his younger twin brother Jacob from Genesis 25 through 27, You'll remember Esau was a, a hunter by trade and for his sustenance. And one day he was out hunting and he came back uh, to, the, to the family encampment and he was starving, really, really hungry. And uh, his brother Jacob, younger brother Jacob, saw that he was hungry. And Esau said, brother, you know, make me some stew. And Jacob said, hey, not a problem. I'm a good cook. I'd be happy to fix something for you, but it's going to cost you. 
Esau said, yeah, 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 whatever you want. It's, it's yours. Give me the stew. Jacob said, I want your birthright. I want your blessing. What was it that Jacob was asking for? Well, the blessing, the birthright that he's speaking about is that is the, the generational promise of God that began with Abraham to make him the father of many nations, that through his descendants, all the nations of the world would be blessed. It's a promise that was confirmed for Isaac, the son of Abraham, the father of Jacob and Esau. And it's a blessing, it's a birthright that was meant to be Esau's as the firstborn. But Jacob, in his subtly deceitful way, and Esau, in his arrogance, uh, work out such a transaction that Esau gives over all of the blessing of God that, that, that the Messiah of God's people, the blessing to the nations, would come through him, and he gives that blessing instead to Jacob. He traded his birthright. He, tra- he traded the right to carry on the promise of God to Abraham for one single meal. This is what the author means by unholiness, by irreverence, by ungodliness. Trading the, the great and immense blessing of God for temporary physical satisfaction. And later in life, after Esau realizes the, the, the grave mistake that he has made in giving the birthright to his brother, he goes back to his father, Isaac, and, and, and he pleads with Isaac, even through tears, Father, if there's any way, uh, undo this thing. Give me the blessing. But it was too late. The deed had already been done. He couldn't reverse his mistake. He couldn't repent of that mistake. He couldn't turn it around, even though he wanted desperately to. And so the warning for the Hebrews and us today stands as well. Do not give in to momentary satisfaction at the cost of shipwrecking your faith. Do not give up the holiness of God. Do not give up the blessing of God. Do not give up the, all of the benefits of salvation and the gospel for a moment of temporary physical satisfaction. We're still, there's a call to those who are still outside of faith in Christ. Do not live until the moment of your death pursuing the the satisfaction, the pleasures of your flesh, the pleasures of this world, more than being justified to God through Christ because at the moment of death there will no longer be a place for repentance. And though you plead for it through tears before the throne of God, there will not be an opportunity for salvation once this life is over. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. There's a clear and a strong warning against reaching a point of no return in an individual's sinfulness. That place happens at the moment of death. Dear friends, so long as there is breath in your lungs, be made right to God through faith in Jesus. Turn from your sin. Turn to the beautiful, majestic, all-splendid, all-loving God who sent His Son, Jesus, to pay for the penalty of your sin on the cross and to be raised from the dead. Do it while you have time. We are called in Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17, to be strengthened and to be straightened by setting our face, setting our gaze upon God, and to run well as we pursue peace with others and holiness before God. And as we watch out for all of these temptations, all of these things that that seek to take us off the path of holiness. And so the command is to us today to run straight, to run straight as we're called to do here in Hebrews 12. But to do so, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but to run straight by the help of God. Run straight by the help of God. If we look at all that it takes to run this race of faith, we can quickly be disheartened by our own ability to do this. How many of us have failed in any of these areas this week? 
How many of us have been at conflict with others? How many of us have, have pursued selfishness and sinfulness rather than the holiness of God? How many of us have, have been confused about the gospel? How many of us have, have not pursued maturity as a disciple of Jesus? How many of us, even in the, the last week, have been tempted to worship things other than Christ, to be distracted by things that are, that are not Him? How many of us have flirted with sexually immoral thoughts or temptations or even practiced uh, sinful acts of sexual immorality in our lives? How many of us have been unholy? How many of us have sought to trade the blessing of God for temporary physical satisfaction just in the last week or in any time in our lifetimes? When we think about what it is to run well, we can be disheartened when we think about it specifically and honestly as we use Scripture as a mirror for our lives. We see all of our faults, all of our failings, all of our inabilities to do the thing that God in His Word has called us to do. How many of us look at what it is to run by faith and say to ourselves with weak knees and tired hands, I can't. I can't. Never have been. Friends, this is the point. We can't. We can't, on our own, live the life that God has called us to live. But God who calls us to run straight by faith can. Where we are weak, He is able. And if we are to run as He has called us to run, He Himself must help us. And the great news is, brothers and sisters, friends, the great news is you can run this race. You can run it straight. You can run it by faith. You can run this race of faith successfully by God's grace, and He promises to help you to do so. The Apostle Paul is so confident of God's ability to strengthen us for the life that He has called us to live that he prays for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Listen to Paul's prayer. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do we run straight and strong and well? We do so by the strength that God himself supplies to us by his Holy Spirit who lives in the heart of everyone who has come to Christ as Lord and Savior. God requires our obedience, but he also does all that is necessary for us to be obedient. The great pastor John Piper has written in his most recent book, Providence, that God requires obedience from His people and He makes obedience certain. Our security lies not in the absence of human conditions, but in the presence of divine power. God creates what He commands. God has commanded us to run straight, to run strong, to run well. And He will create the ability in us through His Holy Spirit to do the very thing that He has commanded. If only we'll set our eyes on Him, set our gaze on Him, and allow Him to work holiness in us. Friend, this morning you may be thinking about this race of faith in Jesus. 
and you look on your life and see, you see that your, your life has not been a straight path, but it has been a wandering, meandering one. You have, you have explored every highway and byway of personal satisfaction and sin and temptation in your efforts to, to create a meaningful life for yourself. And at the end of all of that, you, you find yourself weighed down by the guilt of sin, exhausted physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, because of all the effort that you have expended at, at trying to find meaning, to find purpose, maybe even just trying to impress God. I encourage you this morning to be strengthened. Be straightened by placing your faith in the one who has run the race without defect, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who says to all, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Are you exhausted from living life in your own power? Come to Jesus. Are you spiritually worn out? Do you, do you feel spiritually dead because you've given your heart, you've given your life, you've given your soul to so many other things that all you want is rest? Come to Jesus. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take up your cross and follow me with the promise of eternal life and meaningful life even now. Friend, if you're exhausted spiritually, if you're exhausted mentally and emotionally, if you have nowhere to go because you've tried every other thing, come today to Jesus, the one who can set your path straight, who can heal your broken soul, who can make you right with God, and who will raise your life from the grave to live with him forever. Brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, run straight, run strong, run well, with your eyes fixed on Christ, and with your hope and your faith, set upon him through which he will enable you to do all that he has commanded. Let us pray that this would be so.